Welcome in live from the County Seat Sports Grill in downtown Lillington. This is Camel Call Live. We are here every Monday night. We will take a two-week holiday break and be back with you in January. But I'm really excited about tonight's show. Tonight, it's our alum edition of Campbell Call as we chat with three Campbell alums who now work in the Campbell Athletic Department. We will feature our soccer play-by-play -play man and creative, Zach Burley. Also on tonight's show, former women's basketball standout winner of the Miss Campbell and the Big South Scholar Athlete of the Year Award. Now our coordinator of Athletics Administration's Lauren McNamara-Clement. But to start off the show, he is a 2004 graduate of Campbell University, coming back to work here in 2015. He is now the Associate Athletics Director for Student Athlete Support. He is Jared Fries. And Jared, you did not graduate from Campbell that long ago, but Campbell Athletics has gone through so many changes. If you could, maybe take some that don't know that era of Campbell Athletics. Take me back to the early 2000s and tell me about Campbell Athletics. <laughs> hey, Chris. Uh, thanks for having <laughs> me. Thanks for saying I didn't graduate uh, too long ago. <laughs> Uh, it was a lot different. I got here in 2001. I was a transfer student. Uh, so fall of 2001 was my first semester. Uh, and I started working in the athletic department as a student worker. So I went to all the events uh, as a way to make some extra money. And I like sports. So it worked well. Uh, it'd probably be easier to say the things that weren't here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> doubt, right? Because <laughs> uh, we were in Carter Gym for all of those indoor activities. So all both basketballs, volleyball, wrestling, everything was Carter Gym because that was the biggest venue on campus. Uh, the McLeod Athletic Training Center, as well as the, the locker rooms, offices, everything for the soccer team, softball, we're not here. Uh, so it was just the field and a little press box and the concession stand up there. Um, we were in the, the ASUN and with schools like UCF, Georgia State, <laughs> I remember Troy, uh, Jacksonville State, uh, FAU, like all of those schools that are have transitioned to different places. So we were usually overmatched at the time. Uh, no football. So where the football stadium is now was the track, because uh, that was just a, a field where the track is at this point. Um, we didn't have swimming. We didn't have lacrosse. So uh, just a but whole But other than that, everything was the same. No, <laughs> totally. it, it, it's funny because I say that, and, and in my head, it rotates around Carter Gym, which we'll get to. But you're right. It's, it's easier to say what we didn't have than, than what we have as 21 sports now, all in very good venues. And we'll go back to that with Carter Gym. It was the smallest arena in all of Division One basketball. And I tell people to picture it. If you're ever on the Campbell campus, it is now the, the home of our recreation department. It's a pretty good little rec gym. Mm -hmm. But if you go in there, you won't believe it. And, and if you've never seen it, this is where they are playing basketball little over a decade ago, when if you think of the movie Hoosiers, and think of maybe the not-so-nice gym <laughs> in Hoosiers, which was set in Indiana in 1950, that's what it is. There were some good parts about it, too. Talk about the atmosphere in, in that little gym. For sure. Uh, the good thing about it not being big is it was always full. You know, there, uh, there weren't a lot of seats, and there wasn't a lot of extra room in that building, so it was packed. It was loud. Uh, students went. You know, that was, athletics kept us busy. It was something to do, so it, it was a full gym. Um, yeah, it was a great environment, home advantage for us, the low, the low rafters. Uh, 
it was hard to make a full court heave at the end of a half or a game because <laughs> there wasn't enough uh, room. Volleyball is a different sport because it would hit off the, ra the rafters, things like that. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then I was a student worker, so uh, I had a spot on the floor too because we had to do craft, uh, traffic control during live play because there wasn't much room on the sidelines. So if you need to go to the concession stand or the restroom, we had to keep you out of the way of the, <laughs> <laughs> the action on the court. Uh, so part of my job was, uh, you know, red and green stoplight. If you can walk, you can't walk uh, as a student worker working the games in Game Ops. But oh, it was a good time. Wow, that was a little more responsibility than a, than a lot of student workers at the time. <laughs> yes, uh, we, we did a lot of the game day ops. We didn't have as many staff in the athletic yeah. department, so student workers were a big part of the game day thing. Um, as we talk about the additional staff that we have, fast forward to now and this really golden growing era of, of Campbell athletics. We have Gore Arena, we have football, we have lacrosse, we have swimming, we have 21 sports, but you are the head of something that really was in its infancy just a decade ago. Tell us about what student athlete support is, the department that you run in Campbell athletics. Sure, it's a, it's a broad range of ways that we support our student athletes. It's primarily focused on academic support. Um, our staff works alongside of campus partners to help identify the specific needs that student athletes have that are different than non-athletes, um, help them manage the, the transition into our environment, and then the, all the responsibilities that they have. They have very busy schedules. It can be a lot, um, and so helping them manage, find ways to manage their time effectively, make sure that they're up to speed with the academic expectations and requirements, uh, the absences and just different things, as well as participating in tracking eligibility as it relates to academics and making sure that the coursework that is what's needed for both eligibility purposes and stay on track for graduation, the big picture that we're trying to help keep in mind as well. It is such a big picture, and I tell people all the time, and nothing against the higher levels, and they are student athletes too, but truly at Campbell, you are a truly a, a student athlete. There's not the ballroom dancing class. As you put it the other day when we were having a conversation with someone, when you were describing the academic atmosphere and our student athletes, you said, there's nowhere to hide student athletes. There's not some sort of made-up major. Again, I won't name any sort of names for uh, institutions, but there's no made-up major where uh, half of one team goes because they can't cut it anywhere else. So you really have to be a student and an athlete here at Campbell. That's true. Uh, we don't have any rocks for jocks or things like that <laughs> that I can reference from other schools I've, I've been to. Um, yes, our student athletes are integrated into the overall population. And uh, last year, our student athlete majors mirrored the, the main campus, uh, the rest of uh, the student population. So out of the top 10 majors on campus, seven are the same for our student athletes. So they very much are a part of the academic fabric of what's going on at Campbell. And the academic results have been very, very good. I know you don't have the full picture for this semester, or you may even, as, as it just ended, but, but kind of brag on the, on the student athletes and, and what they've been able to do over the past couple of years. Yes, they've, they've done tremendously well in the classroom as a group. So I do have those results today. All right, as okay. Of today, this Breaking afternoon. news, <laughs> if you want to break it. If not, I understand. So uh, We are above a 3.0 as an athletic department again. For, Let's go. Uh, this is, gosh, 14 out of the last 15 semesters, and we're halfway through year eight of consecutive years of being above a 3.0 as a total athletic department. Um, I don't have all the, the 
breakdown memorized, but as a group, we're above a 3.0. Wow, and you said mm -hmm. that's 14 out of the last 15 semesters, Campbell Athletics in. What is the count now? Is it near 500 student athletes? It's right around 500, just a little bit over, I think, right now, uh, this semester. Yeah. yeah. A, at times an impossible job. I know, I know you think of something that's been really awesome that, that you have been a part in developing is a summer bridge program. Mm -hmm. um, it's tough if you're just a student, and I don't mean just a student, but going from high school to college is very tough no matter what you have on your plate. When you add in 25 hours of practice and games and road trip and you're a student athlete, it's even tougher, but you have created this program to help, quote unquote, bridge the gap. Yes, so we started a few years ago with a, with a handful of different programs that already had their students coming each summer. We've expanded it where it's available to all sports now, um, and we're excited about it. It's, a, it's an entry point for new students to get acclimated to campus so they can come on campus in the second summer session. They can take a course so they can get some academic credit, establish a GPA, uh, but get familiar with you know, the place, the different buildings, what it's like to interact with a college professor, use our online platforms, and then we have our sessions where we're trying to give them a picture of what their upcoming full-time semester is going to look like so they can plan ahead. Um, so it's not so difficult of an adjustment and they have a better idea of what's coming. So much of your job is coordination and that's what it seems is the building block for being able to survive and flourish as a student athlete. You got to know what you're doing when and you got to plan it out a long time ahead, don't you? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is managing their time well because so much is uh, scheduled for them between classes and then practices and all of that. So those, those places in between what's already been scheduled have to be used well if they're going to be successful. So you can't fly by your seat of your pants. You can't make it day to day. You have to look farther ahead. Um, and they're doing a really good job of that. And then we have a great staff. There's six of us doing this um, who really care about the students and helping them see that, big, that picture and helping them get there. And that's uh, six full-timers whose sole job is to help with academic student support, which is unheard of when you were in the athletic department as a student worker, right? Yes, there was nobody. Uh, <laughs> I didn't and, know. and that's not a joke. There wasn't anybody there wasn't. at all. We had a graduate assistant who did some study hall check-in and check-out in a building wow. that's no longer on campus. Uh, <laughs> that was over by, behind Carter Gym, but there was no full-time person or persons in the department providing academic support at the time. Wow, uh, incredible. You were a student here. You met your wife here. Mm -hmm. You were raising your, your family here. Why has uh, Campbell and the Bowie's Creek community, why has it gripped you and your family so? Uh, the people. So everyone says the community, but I think it's been true. I can name the different folks who have made a difference in my own life, my wife's life, our friends. You know, my, my best friends are from Campbell, our roommates and that sort of thing. So people uh, who care about other people and their success and are willing to do things to help you out, help you learn, help you grow. And uh, you are, are raising um, two daughters here uh, at, at, as well. What have you seen has been special in, in raising a family here in this community? Uh, the local community just being uh, close to their whole life is right here. So school is literally across the street from campus for at least elementary school. Uh, Layla got to go all the way through Bowie's Creek. Abigail's there now. Um, they're at all of the events, they're on campus a lot, so it's, it's just a part of their rhythms. And so they have this extended network of people um, that care about them as well. Um, many interesting parts about your background, of course, talking about how Campbell was back then, and we talked about how Campbell was in the athletic department. The intramurals <laughs> at, uh, at Campbell back then as well, and if you think 
people are going to think we're embellishing this a little bit when you tell your stories of your athletic prowess when it comes to intramural. But you've got to remember, on a Thursday night or a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night, you didn't have 100 channels and the ability to stream anything that's ever been on or the ability to stream any sport that is on anywhere in the world. So you did stuff like go watch intramurals games. Talk about the atmosphere uh, with intramurals and the fact that you are, this is also not embellished, your intramural basketball team, the Hustling Quakers, are in the Campbell Intramural Hall of Fame. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Intramurals were a very big deal then um, for all the reasons you said. Uh, Even the surrounding community has grown up a lot since we were, or I was a student, so there wasn't a lot there weren't a lot of places to go that were close by to campus, so you stayed on campus, and then intramurals gave you something to do. Uh, a lot of people participated. Uh, basketball was my favorite sport to play, so we, uh, it was a long season. We played over 20 games in intramurals back then. <laughs> uh, I think it's like four is normal now. That's incredible. <laughs> so when it mirrored the basketball season, we started in October, and we'd go through March. And I mean, this was a second <laughs> job and a yeah. career. And it, it, the game started anywhere from 7 o'clock to midnight, uh, either in Carter or over in Bowie's Creek Elementary. <laughs> Uh, there was a lot of chatter about it outside of classrooms of who was playing who and the standings because there were so many games. You saw each other a lot. Uh, and then the championship was a, a full night event where they would have the Korak championship followed by a three-point contest, followed by the women's championship, followed by a dunk contest, followed by the guys' championship, all in Carter Gym in March. And people would show up because what else are you doing uh, at the time? <laughs> so there was an all-night event and they gave away giveaways and things like that. It was a big deal. It was fun. Um, in, incredible, those stories back of uh, Campbell intramurals. Tell me about why sports, why was this the career you wanted to, to go into specifically within sports? Sure. So I, I didn't know what I wanted to do in college. It took a long, wandering path. I transferred to Campbell from another school, a small, a very small school in the Panhandle of Florida where I was an elementary ed major. Decided that wasn't the right fit. Came here. I was a PE teacher ed major. I finished that, got certified. Um, but I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I said I was a student worker. Uh, Debbie Richardson gave me an opportunity to work, who was the associate AD in the SWA then. She's exceptional. She's a phenomenal person. Um, I re- just really loved that work. And so over, through that experience is when I decided I don't want to work in athletics, but I specifically wanted to work in college. I, I just like the environment. I like the rhythm of a college campus. I like the energy of it. It's, it's not corporate um, sport, and that, none of that appealed to me. So I knew I wanted to work in sport, but I didn't know what. So I went on to grad school for sport management at the University of Florida, did a lot of the same things, volunteered in the athletic department. But I tutored there uh, some student athletes through a, an assistantship to make some extra money, uh, to be frank, is why <laughs> I did it. And that's how I learned of this world. I learned about academic advisors and athletics. We had regular meetings with them to give updates on our students. And that's when I decided I want to do this because it was wow. the education stuff I liked, but I wanted to work in sports and I didn't know my fit until I stumbled into this world. Wow. And and now here you are. And when you look back at how Campbell has changed and how you've been a big part of that change going into the CAA um, coming up uh, after this year, how proud are you of, of what this school, your school, has become? Oh, extremely proud. Um, you know, we're, we're such a different place at the time when I was a student and we were in that ASUN with a lot of larger schools with larger budgets and uh, we didn't do a lot of winning. Um, so it was fun, but it wasn't fun necessarily because we were winning in a lot of sports. It was an uphill battle. Um, so we had a, you know, a fun nickname. Uh, people love to talk about Bowie's Creek and Carter Gym, but it wasn't because they were scared of us kind of thing. 
Um, so I already had a connection. It feels like home, but now we're successful. So it, that, to not only be proud of my school, which I always was, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my experience. I always said good things about Campbell, but now to be on the upward climb, because uh, professionally I've worked at a few other schools that would talk about the glory days and they were in the past. Yeah. Um, and I joked to Tammy, my wife at times, uh, I'd like to work in one of these schools on the, the, way, the way up instead of on the <laughs> other side. Yeah. And that's what it feels like now. And it's my alma mater. So there's a personal connection that's just different besides the professional satisfaction of being in a growing, successful athletic department. And you mentioned your wife, who you met at Campbell University. Yep, I did, yes. Yeah, she was a volleyball player here. She's the real athlete in the family. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was an intramural wannabe, and she had actually played real sports. Um, but yes, we met my first year, our first, my first year, her second, uh, and started dating the next year, and been together 20 years now since then. And you've yeah. both been on a podcast in the last month. So that's her, her Tales from the Creek, she goes over a lot of the same things. That's entertaining as well. And uh, this entertaining as well. Jared, thank you for coming by. Thank you, Chris. He's Jared Fries, our Associate Athletics Director for Student Athlete Support. This is our alum edition of Camel Call. Zach Burley coming up in the second half hour. But coming up after the break, we'll get reacquainted with Miss Campbell. That's coming up after this. You're listening to Camel Call Live. We're no etiquette experts, but biting into your McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich and ending up with a whole pickle slice dangling from your mouth isn't impolite. It's human. Hi, Campbell fans. I'm Christy Yarbrough with Remax United. Thinking about buying or selling or know someone who is? Let me help you make the right moves. It's important to work with the right agent with local knowledge and cutting-edge experience. I can help ease the pains of the buying or selling process by guiding you through the steps. Whether it's connecting you with the right lender, home inspector, handyman for those undone projects, staging and prepping your home for sale, or helping you find the ideal home that fits your family's needs. Visit my website for more information at christyy.remaxagent.com. Go Camels! Step into a quality home you'll value for a lifetime. Perfect for your family at every stage. Mattamy Homes focuses on what you value most with different designs, styles, and finishes crafted to work within your budget. That's why we're ranked first in quality, value, and customer satisfaction. But we don't just build homes. We create communities with instant appeal and enduring value. See what we're building around Raleigh, places you'll be proud to call home. Visit mattamyhomes.com and see for yourself. Sure, McDonald's breakfast is good. But getting that McDonald's breakfast two minutes before it stops being served, that tastes even better. Welcome back live from the county seat in downtown Lillington. This is Camel Call Live. We've got basketball going on through the beginning of the year as Campbell will take on their old rival, soon-to-be conference rival, UNCW. That's coming up this Wednesday. It's a special 2 o'clock start. The women's basketball team 
is in Las Vegas right now. Uh, they will play uh, tomorrow and Wednesday as well. You could follow them at Go Camels WBB for tickets to the upcoming game. The women will be home for the first conference game of the year on December 29th at 5 p.m. Make sure you go to GoCamels.com or 1877-GO-HOMPS. We are having fun today at the County Seat Sports Grill in downtown Lillington. It's our alum edition of Camel Call. Coming up a little later, we'll feature our soccer play-by-play man and creative Zach Burley. But right now, she is one of the all-time leaders in blocks at Campbell University. She helped the team win a regular season title back in 2020. That same year, she was the Big South Scholar Athlete of the Year, the first time that has ever happened in the history of Campbell University. She was also Campbell's Student Athlete Advisory Committee president and won the Miss Campbell Award at the Cammies that year as well. She is now the coordinator of athletics administration. She is Lauren McNamara-Clement. She is joining us now. And the first thing I have to ask you is how did you do all that and play basketball and do it all well back in your student days at Campbell? Well, thank you for the compliment. Um, that's a great question. I think the go-to was an agenda and teamworks and having a very structured schedule and just trying to take advantage of any extra time I had to get ahead in classes or to plan for the week ahead. You know who is smiling right there is, uh, is Jared Freeze, who was just our guest, the Associate Athletic Director of Student Athlete Support. If all 500 gave that same answer to you, um, his job would, I wouldn't say be easier, but uh, he, he'd, he'd get a lot more rest in, in, in life. That is, that is sensational. Okay, wh where does that work ethic come from for you? I would have to say my mom. I think from an early age, she just taught me that when you commit to something, you work hard and you put all you have into it. So from an early age, that's what I knew. And I really just enjoyed basketball and all the opportunities that it gave me. So coming to Campbell and getting to work with amazing people and having Jared as my academic advisor for four years was definitely a great experience. You came to Campbell at a, at a little bit of a time of transition for the basketball program. Tell me about what drew you to this program and to Bowie's Creek. Well, that's a great question. Um, I can remember the first time ever coming to visit back when Coach Watkins was still coaching and tell my mom in the car I would never go to Campbell. It's just in the middle of nowhere. I could just never see myself going. And to this day, we still joke because look at me now, back working. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think it was the family atmosphere, and it was the people that really made it stand out and special. And so all the assistant coaches, head coach Ronnie Fisher, them recruiting me and making me feel like I was wanted and would be able to contribute on and off the court was something that really stood out to me. Uh, you came in as Coach Fisher started here, taking over from Wanda Watkins. Wanda, of course, uh, a mentor to many of us and uh, one of the best coaches all time in the, in the women's basketball game. And then Ronnie Fisher comes in and, and picks up exactly where she left off. You guys are, are winning trophies. You're at the top of the conference. Talk about playing for Ronnie Fisher. What, what is that like? I would have to say in two words, Three words, excuse me, sweat and serve. That was something that he really relied on. And it was embodied through all of the players, through the coaching staff, through all of the support staff. So it was one of those things where we worked hard for each other, for ourselves, for the program, for the university. And so we always relied on that going back to, are we sweating and are we serving each other? 
it's it's an amazing um, story with a with a really heartbreaking ending. Um, your senior season here was the 2019-2020 season, and of course that 2020 season for all of the spring sports and everything in the NCAA were, were was ended because of the COVID pandemic. Take me back to that year before we get to the heartbreak of March and that team when you think back of it, that championship winning team, what, what was special about them? I would have to say to this day, I still talk to all of them. Like really? some of my best friends, the moments in the locker room, all of that, like you remember, yes, the championship, but you remember the people that you did that with, that you accomplished a goal like that with. So to this day, I still consider them some of my best friends. Amazing. Then, of course, you guys not only won the regular season, that year, whoever won the regular season championship was hosting the tournament for a chance and a trip to the NCAA tournament and, and before we were able to start the tournament, which was held at Campbell, uh, you got the news that, that there would be no Big South tournament. They hadn't told you yet that there wouldn't be an NCAA tournament. Everybody uh, assumed that. What were the emotions of, of that time like? Yeah, I can remember that day quite vividly. We were in our shoot-around and one of the admin from the Big South walked in and we all were looking at each other and we're like, mm, this is not a good sign. And so in that moment, we all went in the locker room. Coach Fisher let us know that the tournament wouldn't be happening. And I think we were all such in shock that we didn't know what to do along with the rest of the world. So there was a lot of processing of like, okay, what does this actually mean? Like no tournament, no NCAA. Um, so just having to go through that and be like, well, this is pretty historic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we, we got through it. We got through it. So. Yeah. yeah. Heartbreak as well, because that was a team that could have punched their ticket to the to the NCAA tournament. Um, I guess sometimes the, the what could have been with that amazing group. Yeah, definitely. To this day, I still wonder. But like I said, great people and great memories that I have. So carry those with me. You got a great opportunity um, the year after to continue your education um, as a grad student. You went to Mercer. You wore a little bit of a different kind of, of, of orange, and that team ended up winning a regular season title and going to the NCAA tournament. So yep. a nice bow put on your career. Tell me about that experience there and, and going all the way. Yeah, so when I was looking to take that COVID fifth year, I wanted an opportunity where I'd be challenged, but one of my requirements, I jokingly say, were to go to a school that was still the colors orange and black. <laughs> so I did that, um, but it was a great year. It was short. It went by really quick. Again, some of my greatest friends I consider to this day from those eight months that I was there, I think. It was a summer, fall, and spring semester, um, but we won SOCON, and then we headed up to Connecticut and played UConn in the first yeah. round. So again, another way to end a career. Um, uh, pretty historic. <laughs> what was that atmosphere like uh, at the NCAA tournament against one of the legendary teams in NCAA basketball over the past two decades? Yeah, I tell everybody to be in an environment where women's basketball is so valued and there are so many passionate fans that appreciate women's basketball was probably like one of the greatest experiences I've had um, during my basketball career. Wow. And then after that, you get out in the uh, in the business world uh, a little bit. Tell me about uh, what what you've done postgraduate. Yeah. So this past summer, I was trying to figure out what was next. Uh, two degrees, not sure. I was at home in Raleigh, and some of our family friends actually, the guy he has a leadership consulting 
organization, and so he was doing community need assessment for a county in Chicago, and um, I got to be part of that. It was kind of a project internship-based thing, and I was like, I'll give it a shot, get some experience, got great experience, got to go to Chicago twice over the summer for that, um, and then I got a call from Dr. Andrew Carter, <laughs> which led to where I am now. Yes, uh, you have uh, joined um, back to the color of orange and, and black that you like. You are our coordinator of athletics administration. I know because I work closely for you. Uh, that title doesn't cover near what you do and the departments you touch and what happens. Tell me wh what you do day in and day out for this athletic department. I say no day looks the same. Um, <laughs> the greatest thing about it is I come to work and I'm working around such amazing people, which m makes coming to work that much more awesome. But I do a little bit of HR stuff, work directly with Hannah Baysmore, Wanda Watkins, a lot of the exec staff and senior ADs. Um, a lot of it, I say, is just helping with the logistics of the department. So a little bit of everything. Um, and I'm super thankful to Hannah because she's giving me the option to like try new things, learn new things, and grow in my career. So I think it's been great because I'm getting exposed to a lot of aspects of college athletics. Hannah Baysmore, uh, the director of athletics for Campbell. She has been in the department for um, a decade and a half. She was a Campbell alum as well. So much you all have in common. What have you seen from her and, and what has made her special in her short tenure so far at the top of the department? I would have to say hands down her leadership, her ability to be in the community, to be at sporting events, to want to sit down and talk to you, to ask you how your personal life is, to actually care. And so it just shows in, the, in her actions, truly. And I think that's really neat. And even the way she like goes about things or words things, I'm like, oh, I got to write that <laughs> down. I, I got to steal that. So just being able to kind of, I guess, see all of her day-to-day -day actions and learn from that. And then, of course, across the hall from my office is Wanda Watkins. So it's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, w Wanda Watkins we talked about. What, what makes her special in your dealings with her, the legendary basketball coach that's now an administrator? Yeah, so actually I like to tell people, fun fact, before Coach Watkins retired, she recruited me when I was in high school. <laughs> so I've got to know her for a long time yeah. and if somebody would have ever said that I would work with her, I would have been like, no, there's no way. So I think just that in itself and the way she advocates for women's sports and how much she's done. One day I was in the car with her and she was just telling me when she first started coaching and where we are now and it's amazing to see what an impact she's had, not only at Campbell, but just for women's sports and total. Yeah, such, such a trailblazer. Uh, she won't tell me what, what she made when she was hired. Uh, she, she, she has that much pride of that. But when you think back, uh, she was the first scholarship athlete at Campbell. And again, it wasn't that long ago. Mm -mm. W w when you think of, of people like her, you know, having to go through, she, she tells a story of, of taping her own people on the road when she was a head coach in the 80s, just stuff when the, when the equity wasn't there. Well, when you think of where women's sport has come, understanding, uh, as we all do, that there is still a ways to go. But when you think of where women's sports comes, wh what comes into your mind? I think it's truly people like her. It's people that made those sacrifices and had to fight for and maybe not have what they needed day in and day out. But for us to have exactly what we need and even look at the women's basketball program and all of the great things that have happened, the new locker room updates, the trips. We, when I was a sophomore, went to the Dominican Republic for to go play basketball and do mission work. So it's all of those opportunities that now we're getting because of people like her. Amazing, amazing stuff. You uh, 
uh, were recruited by Campbell, said you'd never come. Then you came, had an, an unbelievable four-year career, both on the court and, and off. Now that you've had time away from being a student and are uh, in the athletic department working now, w what makes this place special to you still? Goes back to the people. And I know, I, I, cliche, I keep saying that, but truly coming to work and being around such amazing people and knowing that I have an impact on the people here and just trying to, as Hannah says, my favorite, one of my favorite lines of hers is to move the needle forward and just keep doing that for student, current student athletes, future student athletes, and coaches and staff within the department. Well, Lauren, just like you did as a student athlete, you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you so much thank for taking you. time out and, and coming here, and thank you for all you do for us. Yeah, no problem. She is one of the best. Also, we didn't even get to it. Cammie's Miss Campbell. She is Lauren McNamara-Clement. And we'll be back after the break. Another alum. We're going to talk a whole bunch of soccer with Zach Burley. That's coming up after this on Camel Call Live. Step into a quality home you'll value for a lifetime. Perfect for your family at every stage. Mattamy Homes focuses on what you value most with different designs, styles, and finishes crafted to work within your budget. That's why we're ranked first in quality, value, and customer satisfaction. But we don't just build homes. We create communities with instant appeal and enduring value. See what we're building around Raleigh, places you'll be proud to call home. Visit mattamyhomes.com and see for yourself. Since 2019, the Fighting Camel Club has funded championship-level facility projects such as the Eeks Athletics Complex renovation for Campbell Soccer and a new strength and conditioning space inside Gore Arena. This fall, your Fighting Camel Club donations will fund a new sports medicine facility, a new locker room for women's basketball, and a new digital media lab for athletes to work on their personal brands. Providing championship resources for Campbell student-athletes, that's the mission of the Fighting Camel Club. For more information, go to GoCamel.com com and click on the give button planning a tailgate then it's bow time bojangles has everything you need for the perfect tailgate no matter how many fans you're trying to feed there's the original tailgate the super tailgate and for a really big crowd the jumbo tailgate special and if you like your chicken off the bone choose the supremes tailgate special that includes 12 perfectly seasoned tenderloin fillets so grab the tickets get that bojangles tailgate special and go it's bow time. Oh, welcome back live from the County Seat Sports Grill in downtown Lillington. This is Camel Call Live. We are taking the next two Mondays off for the holiday, but then we'll be back January through May every Monday right here, 5.30 to 6.30. You can also catch us live, the live broadcast streaming at GoCamels.com. And then every Tuesday we drop the Camel Call Live podcast everywhere you get podcasts. We will uh, be here for you. Also, every time we have a show and you come here live, you uh, get a chance to win a great prize pack. And so that's what we are going to give away now. The first uh, numbers that I read will be for the uh, hat T-shirt combo. And that winner is 625 625-759-625-759. All right, we're going we're gonna to roll it over into a super prize pack, four tickets to an upcoming men's or women's basketball game, and a T-shirt 
and a hat to 625 625-718. 625-718. One more number here, 625-757. 625757 and 625-760. 625-760 goes to that table. The lady in the very festive sweater. Thank you for coming and uh, celebrating. We've got a Camel alum at that table uh, as well. Miss Dupree sitting back there, so we got to chat with her a little earlier on as well. So thank you for saying hi and uh, welcome into Camel Call Live. Without further ado, sitting patiently uh, to my left, he did not win a prize tonight, but he is one of our favorites. You've heard him here on this show, and you hear him on all of the men's and women's soccer ESPN broadcasts. Plus, this year, uh, he has called many games at the professional level of soccer. We'll talk about that and many other things with our good friend and alum, Zach Burley. And Zach, first of all, take me back to you as a Campbell student. It wasn't that long ago, but how you got involved with the Campbell soccer broadcast. Yeah, well, first I want to say pleasure to be here. I'm glad to be the least athletic guest ever to feature on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, one of the very few athletes. So, um, yeah, it, it was, um, you know, I've grown up in the area and I wanted to get into broadcasting and there was members of the staff, yourself included, who said, hey, you know, soccer is an area where we have some openings if you want to try it out. And it was like, you know, you're not going to pass that up. I mean, Division One soccer with two really great programs um, I just tried it out, you know, got in the booth for the first time. I think it was like a color job, you know, so I was just talking about it rather than actually doing the play-by-play -play job. No idea it was going to be as hard as it was. Zero, absolutely zero experience. Um, but it was an amazing time. It sounded awful. I still cringe thinking that there out there exists some recording of it. Um, but thankfully, yourself and others along the way kind of helped guide me from that very low floor up to uh, where I am today, which is better. Maybe not the best, but still better. Okay. All right. You're, you're beating yourself up way too much. One of the <laughs> many things about you is that is that you are very humble. The thing that I remember, I'll tell my version of that story. You come, you come up to us and you say, hey... Uh, I want to do some soccer sports play-by-play, -play, which is something you don't hear many people come up yeah. and tell you. And then we put you on air for a, for a couple of practice games, I think it, it was. was. Yeah, it, in the it was in the spring. And, and I get back the recording, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this guy could be on the air right now. Now, maybe that says something about my sports broadcasting when it comes to, to soccer and where I thought that level was. But um, to come in with such knowledge of the game on a game that – is, as we've seen and we'll talk about, really growing in popularity in, in America. But where did your soccer knowledge base come from? Because, quite frankly, that's what was so impressive about you early on, your knowledge of the game and your terminology. Yeah, I was not a sports kid growing up. I, not at all. I was a history nerd. I loved to read. I spent most of my time in bookstores, not at sports fields. So I was not at all. It wasn't until I got into high school that just going to a small school like I did, um, I started to get involved with other speaking opportunities that I did. I like to talk, um, which helps with the play-by-play -play stuff. So I started off doing a little bit of that, and then it became, well, how about you do the lineups at our soccer, at our sporting events? So I started doing that, and it kind of grew, and eventually 
I just fell into soccer because there were some friends that I had who would sit down in class and they would talk to one of our professors and they would say, uh, one of our teachers, and he would say, well, did you see the Crystal Palace game this weekend? And I was like, what on earth could they be talking about? <laughs> yeah, Crystal right. Palace, the Arsenal game, you know? <laughs> so anyways, that just kind of drew me in and um, I ended up getting into soccer, the Premier League. And it's funny because it all ties in. I became a Chelsea fan because their their uh, stadium is called Stamford Bridge, which I knew immediately because is a battle in the Norman Conquest of England in 1066, the Battle of Stamford Bridge. So I was like, hey, that sounds interesting. I'm going to follow those guys. And so that became the journey with soccer. It started off there, and I think that was before the World Cup in 2014. There was that, and then so on and so forth. There was just a lot of great sporting events that happened around that time that made me fall in love with the game, which I think for a lot of people that just watch the World Cup, if they're not watching it before, it's a very easy sport to fall in love with. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's another point that was so amazing to me. It wasn't like you grew up in a soccer family no. and you've been playing and watching soccer since since age two. The, the game itself, what what drew you to it? Yeah, I think that it's, it's so simple yet so complex. I mean, I, I think that's the beauty of sport in general. I think that if you look at a sport like football, it's more complex in a sense that there's many more formations and set plays. Basketball's a little bit the same way, but it's kind of boiled down some. Baseball is... I guess kind of on that platform with basketball. Soccer is very similar where it's that same sort of openness where it's just 11 guys in the field and you can make it as simple or as complex as you want. And in the end, it can be decided by one guy, but it could also be the culmination of 11. You really never know. Plus just the, the pure beauty of it, watching it is amazing. And then the international aspect of it as well. Um, my family, we traveled to visit them in Germany, so I went to there, and there's such a big passion for it in Europe as well, and um, you just get to touch so many areas of the world and meet so many different people and so many different languages, and I think it's, sport does that in general, and soccer is not um, unique in that sense, but it is amazing just to get a little touch of that, like you saw at the World Cup, just to open up your eyes to how different the game is in a language, how it sounds very different, but in the end, we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. We're crying over the same events. We're jumping with joy because someone that we both know watching on TV has done something amazing, and that uniting force, I think, was just so attractive watching it originally. Oh, we could spend a whole episode of a podcast talking about <laughs> the, the championship game that, that happened yesterday, and we'll touch on that. But that game aside... What impressed you or didn't impress you, I guess, your overall takeaways from, from, from this World Cup? Um, I think that, I mean, the, the World Cup was always going to be amazing because we have the best players in the world competing. It, it was always going to be, regardless of all the other stuff going on and, and all the controversy over the location. I think that, in the end, you could take all of that out and you always knew these players were going to put on something amazing. Um, I mean, all the storylines seemed to come together at just the right time with Ronaldo and Messi, the young Mbappe, this USA team. And there was so many things culminating at the same time that that alone, which is what I tried to focus on, was going to be amazing. Um, I think that there were so many fun stories. I am... Uh, always putting teams outside of Europe first. It usually goes outside of Europe, and then it usually goes outside of South America because those are the only two continents to ever win. So I'm pulling hard for Morocco. I'm yeah. pulling hard for Japan, the USA, Canada. Those teams that are you know kind of smaller and scrappy and the ones that don't have all of the stars over their crest because they haven't won a World Cup, that's what really excites me. And we saw, got to see some incredible tournaments 
from those. The Canadians didn't do as much, but still to see how much our northern neighbors have grown. I have no contempt for them at all. I love them so much. Um, and then Japan's one of my personal favorites as well. If the USA isn't playing, Japan's probably my number one. And they're just so much of a joy to watch. And twice in the group stage, they showed up big time against Spain and Germany. So those sorts of games where, sure, you've got the big names, but then you get a team you maybe don't know everybody on if you're watching as a neutral then that's really where it gets to be fun because you're like, wow, these guys are giant killers. When you think of what was accomplished or maybe in your eyes not accomplished by the United States, what's your takeaway from what they did? Yeah, I think that it was a really good tournament. I think the only thing that leaves a sour taste in your mouth is the is the defending in the Netherlands game. We did what we needed to do. We, we should have beaten Wales, but we drew. That's okay. Uh, we should have beaten England, but we drew. That's very much okay. And we beat Iran. Those are your three things. you got to get out of the group. We did that. We were so close to winning the group. When we play Senegal, we have a better chance. The Netherlands game, though, we were very much in it with the whole time. I mean, we created the chances. We just didn't put them away. The biggest problem was the defending. It was just comical at times really and that's so many instances where those guys have never been in that situation before none of them have played in a world cup really um i don't think it may be one person deandre yedlin had yep. ever played in one before so they just have never been there before now many of them have played at that level against those same players in europe so the excuses only go so far but in the end i don't think you can be surprised when those moments caught up with them because it is the world's biggest stage the netherlands want it just as much as us if they lose to the united states it's a terrible result for them so it's not always just about insulary just us I thought we did really well um, I think that the issues that I have are larger than this tournament I think overall I think we checked pretty much all the boxes do we need to stay with the same coach do they need to go a different direction what are what are your thoughts when it comes to that I think long term they will need to change the coaching staff there of course there was revelations came out afterwards about Gio Reyna which is uh if you ever heard of Claudio Reyna who was much yep. a very big world cup star as well um, he didn't get to play as much as people thought, and then there was some controversy over some stuff that happened in training. So anyways, I think the way it's been handled hasn't always been the best. But regardless, four years is a really long time, and you very rarely see national team head coaches stay between those very long stints. Um, so I think that even if that stuff hadn't happened, you'd probably see a change. Um, I would be excited to see them bring in somebody big and let's say hey, let's give it a try you know we had Klinsman kind of a bigger name let's let's maybe try somebody like that a Roberto Martinez a Zinedine Zidane they've even said Pep Guardiola who's at Manchester wow. City might be on his way out on a retirement tour it might come to the United States so um, as the world starts to shift his focus to the United States and our domestic leagues and this big name start to come over here and the growth of the game continues the World Cup will be here next time I think there could be a real incentive for a big-time coach to do a one-time hey let's go place in a host country or we can make history, take them the furthest they've been in the modern era. I think it's a real attractive stance, yeah. so I hope they find somebody of that caliber. Um, we are talking to someone of high caliber, our uh, Zach Burley, our soccer announcer, our soccer creative, our, our Campbell alum. All right, let's talk about, wow, the World Cup final, final. Yeah. Just uh, outstanding. You, you really got the matchup you wanted, the, the defending champions with, again, you said Mbappe, he is the up-and-coming young star. If you didn't know his name or didn't know how to pronounce yeah. his name, you definitely know it now. People in the soccer world know that he is taking the torch from the Ronaldos and, and the Messi. But, I mean, 
<laughs> how do you, what's your cliff note version of, of what we saw in that incredible, incredible game? Yeah, and I do want to preface, Mbappe's 23. He's 23 yeah. and he just scored a World <laughs> yeah. Cup hat trick. Yeah. He came a whisker away from winning yeah. his second consecutive World Cup. I mean, he almost had four goals. Yeah, it's in, it's incredible, really. And I, I think that we're going to be talking about him for a very long time as well. And I don't know if we'll mention him in the same echelon as Messi, but I, I certainly hope so. He has the ability to do it. But the game itself was fantastic. I mean, up until the 79th minute, um, in games, Argentina had outscored opponents 9-1 uh, to one. through all their games in the group stage, oh, wow. all the way up. They had outscored opponents 9-1. to one. After the 70th minute, they've lost their games 4 to nothing. So they've conceded four goals uncontested after the 70th minute. So up to that, the 79th minute. So up to that point, I was like, this is a really boring final. France yeah. really just looked out of it. Like it, it was just a game where Argentina did everything right. France did nothing right, really. They just couldn't get any possession in midfield. And then there was a, a one moment with a ball over the top, player goes down, and goals change games. I mean, it was a perfect penalty kick under those sorts of circumstances. And then I was like, okay, now we're going to be in a run for it. I didn't think 90 seconds later we would be seeing Mbappe <laughs> yeah. stroke one in from yeah. the top of the 18. Um, but that same thing happened when they played the Netherlands. They were up 2-0 very late. They went to extra time, eventually won it um, in that game. But I wasn't surprised when the Argentina fell apart because they'd done it over and over and over again. I knew defensively that was their worst part of the team. Attackingly, they're amazing. France, very similar. Then it became the shootout between the two teams. Goalkeepers making amazing saves. Apamecano making an incredible goal line save for France. Like, the two teams went back and forth. I wanted it to go to penalty kicks because I felt it was so close that that was probably the best way to decide it, even though penalty kicks can be very unfair sometimes. I wanted it to go there. I knew if it did, Argentina would probably win because they have yeah. one of the sauciest goalkeepers in this tournament. So, uh... That's kind of how it went. It was an amazing 3-3 final. I don't think we've seen a better game in a World Cup or really oh anywhere in a very long time. Yeah, and the the two goals in extra time, Yeah, that's something that doesn't happen, happen yeah. as well. Okay, you are, as people who maybe have not heard you before, very good at articulating points, articulating soccer. I always get kind of messed up, and I'm like, it's just, just because you can't, you know, having played soccer or whatever. People will ask again that are, just watching the game for the first time or not understanding for it. Why do they have to end the game with penalty kicks? Why can't they do a hockey-style keep playing until someone scores? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair criticism. Um, I, I guess the way I look at it is it is a very difficult sport to play, whereas in hockey you, you play maybe 20 minutes a game, 40 minutes a game, whatever, same way as basketball. Right. Very strenuous, but you sub in and out. With soccer – Almost all the players, all but five now, are going to play the full length of the game, which is incredibly tough on their legs. So the longer and longer you go, I think it just becomes difficult where the, the quality of play will go down. The longer and longer you play, eventually people are going to stop running as hard. Yes. They're going to stop. They just can't. They don't got it in them anymore. So I think that the, the way it's set up is right. I think that penalty kicks sometimes are very unfair. Um, they're like a little mini game. They're not just a, uh, a dice roll sometimes. They really are s skill involved in it. As you saw from yeah. the Argentina goalkeeper, from the Croatian goalkeeper, from the Moroccan goalkeeper, all tournament long, it is skillful. It's not just let's kick the ball, see what happens. If you watch Mbappe and, and Messi, both of them are guys that don't just pick and kick. They wait, they watch for the goalkeeper to go, and they kick it the other way. I mean, there's immense skill in it. So I think the way it's set up sometimes can be like, well, it's just it's unfair. Yeah. You know, it's not the best way to do it. But honestly, I, I really think it is. Penalty kicks um, are, are difficult, but I think the best way to resolve the game when it's gone on that long. No doubt. All right, we'll shift back to um, domestically here, and you have been a part of the – 
Campbell soccer broadcasting team and have really been along for these rises and these runs of both the men's yeah. and women's program. Let's start with the, the with the women's. W what has been incredible about this ride, and, and what have you seen about this this program that won another trophy again this year? Yeah, they really are incredible, and it's just been so much fun because when I got here, both of the teams were the scrappy underdogs. They were the, we make it into the tournament, but then we make it to the final maybe or the semifinal in just some bad course of luck. There was an own goal or there was some ridiculous goal the other team scored. It was always right there, but never quite there. Uh, and then I got to see that go from the scrappy underdogs to the, the favored team every year, where they're number one in the preseason poll. Or with the women, their first season of winning it, they were kind of in the running in that 3-4 spot. And then they went on the road to Radford, a place that has been so difficult for them to win. They have to come in their boogeyman. Year in and year out was Radford in the tournament to vanquish them and then go on the road to High Point in a, a place where we weren't sure because of COVID and everything. I mean, it was just a crazy season. And then to win it in the way that they did, going up, you know, 3 nothing so early. I mean, it was the perfect way because I think that the identity of the women that play on that team shows so much in the way that the team plays itself. I think a coach can only do so much to mold the team to look a certain way. At some point, you have to let the personality of the people on it shine. And that has been the way it's been the whole time. Talk about some of the scrappiest people I know. Alyssa Nova-Vieski, she scored two goals in that final in uh, the spring of 21. I mean, that's exactly what this team is like. They're going to fight. They're going to grapple. Everything they can do to get just an inch above the other team, they're going to do it. And you find that all up and down the team. And the continued progression in the recruits to see that they're buying in as well. And then the changing coaching staff with Jeff Gross now. Um, it's just a, a level that never ceases to stop building on the one before. And it has just been a, a truly fascinating experience because every single group, the first class I was here with in the class that just got here, are basically the same group. They're basically the same. They're the same uh, atmosphere that they're creating. It's just been continuous. And I last semester said goodbye to the first player, the last uh, class that I was with originally, Matty wow. Thompson. So yeah. now there are none of the originals that I were there with, but still it feels like the same group. They've been able to keep that same sort of mentality through the recruits and through the way that they've mentored the young players coming up. And, and that mentality, I think, has been crucial to what they've been able to do year in and year out, which, by the way, I think we can't overstate. Just remember, a year ago, they were hosting Iowa yeah. in the opening round <laughs> of the NCAA <laughs> yeah. tournament. I yep. mean, that is truly remarkable, something that has never happened at that level, you know, sort of thing in, yeah. in Campbell soccer history, and who knows if it ever will again. That was truly remarkable and something that I and the people there will never forget. Yeah, and you were uh, announcing those games. O over on the men's side, the, the, the men have been – Dominant isn't even isn't even an appropriate a adjective when when you talk about what they have done. The fact that they were in the national top twenty-five yes. for a time this year, um, they are dominant at home, and they have a couple of guys that they feel could get drafted in the MLS Super Draft coming up this week, including someone that could get drafted in the first round. So yeah. they're not only winning. They're attracting and developing players who are going to play professionally. Yeah, and that big credit goes to Dustin Fonder and his staff because he really is a true professional, a guy who gets it right on the field, a guy who gets it right in all the trips that they do and the recruiting talks that they have because he came into this program and instantly, I mean, it was a good program before, but I mean, where they're at now is amongst the upper echelon of mid-majors 
alone, much less talking about Power 5 schools as well. I mean, this, this team could slot into Power 5s and do itself justice. So a lot of credit goes to him. Um, the guys that he's brought in are incredible professionals, um, and they are so much fun to watch and to be around um, from all over the world, too. I yeah. mean, they have a international footprint on the field. You wouldn't know it, though. I mean, it's so great to talk to them because I'll ask them about one another, and you'll have a Colombian talking about a Ghanaian, and he says, that's my brother. You know, so we're brothers for life. We're bonded forever. I mean, that's we're going to always be uh, family because of this, and that's just such an amazing thing that I think is a uh, – a dichotomy of what soccer is in itself. You just shrunk it down into two people, one relationship that they've been able to form there. And they've got an excellent group. Some of the guys you were talking about, Moses Mensah. Um, I mean, I've been all over the collegiate game, and I've seen finals. I've been on the sideline yeah. for finals. I mean, I, I've seen some of the best players that have played in the collegiate game, and there really aren't many better defenders than Moses Mensah. And that's just not me saying that. That's He's recognized as a Mac Herman Trophy uh award nominee um, as well as being ranked by United Soccer Coaches and Top Drawer Soccer as one of the top players in the nation as a defender. So I'm not, don't just trust me, trust the professionals as well. Um, he really is amazing and when we talk about the draft, I mean I have no clue because I'm not talking to GMs, but I will say that being very familiar with the MLS and then USL which is right below it, um, I think that there are already teams that could use him. Yeah. He's, a, he's a left back, a defender, it's a crucial area. I think that he has the skill set right now to be a, a first-year starter. Will he play every single game? Maybe, maybe not. I think he has the skill set to do it. Wow. But I do think that there are teams out there that could use a solid left back and that he would be there. The problem with MLS is um, you have a limited number of international roster slots. And so you can imagine if you're trying to bring in Messi right. to your roster, yeah. you may not have a spot left over for a college draftee. So what could happen is he could be drafted by a team and then sent down to either what they're called MLS Next, which is kind of like a AAA baseball team, or to the USL Championship, which is also kind of like that. It's a, another domestic league, very good. I spent a lot of time around it as well, and he would be a league leader um, for either of those sides. He really is a next-level stuff. That's what I was going to say. We will end this with a tell us. Um, you have, even coming into this year, you have done tournament finals. You have done for Campbell announcing both on the men's and women's side at East Carolina. You have done NCAA tournament games and, and high-level and high games, but you got into the professional ranks this year. Tell us a little bit about what you did and the setup for it, which is equally <laughs> as unique. Yeah, so I was down in Fort Lauderdale where um, the, the company that does all the broadcasting, basically if you watch soccer, it's done out of this building. Um, so it was a remote setup. So I would call a game in Fresno, California, or I called a game in Madison, Wisconsin. From and Fort Lauderdale. From Fort Lauderdale. I was in Fort Lauderdale, and you're in, it's basically a glorified closet. It's nicer than that. <laughs> but you would have four televisions up in front of you, and you would have uh, what you're seeing at home, and then I would have all my replay angles so I can see the four cameras and what they're all looking at. I have live replay, so what the replay operator is looking at, so they can say, hey, look, look in monitor three. This is what we're, here's the penalty. You know, take a look at it. See if you see what we're seeing. And then you'll have the graphics monitor. So we're going to say, hey, we're going to show our player of the match. Here it is. What's what it's going to look like. Um, and so you'll have a guy who's in the room next to you, literally. He's across the wall <laughs> who's directing and producing. And you'll have a replay op and all that stuff. And uh, it was all done from this facility. It, it was remarkable. Um, I had a little bit of experience doing that in the NCAA tournament. 
doing a, like a remote broadcast where I wasn't actually at the field. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I much prefer to be on the field because it's just a, I mean, you know, as a broadcaster, you want to be there. You right. want to hear it with your own ears. You want to feel the vibrations of the sound coming and hitting you. But um, it is certainly, from a broadcaster's perspective, probably better to be in the studio because you have so much more access yeah. to information. I mean, you, you can see everything everywhere, and it really is more of an immersive experience from the tactical side as a broadcaster approaching a game. So um, it was an amazing experience, something I hope to do more of. And I got some incredible, incredible games. Um, I got to do the NC Derby, NCFC, and the Charlotte Independence, which as a North Carolinian, which was really awesome. Also in that game was the USL League One goal of the year, um, which I knew it was going to be when it was scored. <laughs> so all in all, an amazing experience, very unique. Um, and I, I can't thank you guys enough because it was because of doing stuff here that I was ready to do stuff there. It's all about your talent. You took the opportunity and ran with it. He is Zach Burley. He is one of the best young voices in soccer broadcasting, one of the best voices, period. I'm a little biased. Zach, <laughs> thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. That's our Camel Call Alumni Edition. Jared, Lauren, and Zach, thank you so much. We're going to take two Mondays off. We'll be back in three Mondays with more Camel Call Live. Have a great holiday, a Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening. Good night.